0: Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz, and I'm pleased to be joined by three esteemed doctors, Dr. Brian Heinlein, who is the NCAA Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Dina Casero, she is the Director of Sports Medicine and the Head Team Physician at UConn, and Dr. Kyle Goral, he is the Director of Student Health at Kansas State. Uh, for those that have been watching the show for the last 18, 19 months. It's been going on quite well. Uh, We've covered COVID-19, obviously, health and safety for student athletes uh, and everyone, quite frankly, uh, at all levels of sport. Uh, And we've obviously rode the roller coaster of this pandemic. So let's just start off with where we are at this stage with the Delta variant. Obviously, numbers are going down, but we don't want to be, you know, change everything just because of that, but numbers are going down and all uh, categories, but let me just ask you the three of you, and I'll start with you, Brian. Uh, just where we are right now uh, at this stage uh, in the pandemic, as it relates to college athletics.
1: Well, thanks, Andy, and it's uh, great to be here again with you, and, and especially with Kyle and and Dina. So, so look, we're at a, a an unusual place because um, the, the the fact of the matter is is that we still have hospitals that are. Uh, you know, overcapacity, and and we're still having way too many deaths. But as you said, with the Delta variant, um, infections are going down across the country and in most communities. And we sort of seen two things play out. One is, is that yes, this is a highly contagious variant, and even those that are vaccinated, uh, they are and they have been susceptible but it largely became from the point of view of serious illness, a a disease of the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And and that may be one of the most important lessons that, that we've learned that essentially for those that have been vaccinated or have an immunity, that this became like a, a, a flu or an, an upper respiratory infection. And that was kind of always our hope that we would get to this place where if COVID-19 doesn't go away, that it becomes a, another endemic upper respiratory infection that we can manage. So so that's sort of how this is playing out right now. And, and obviously we hope that um, Delta will, will leave this country as it has other countries.
0: All right, so Dina and Kyle and Dina go first, please. Uh, at the campus level, um how have you th- how have you seen things change uh, once the fall semester began and and now into it?
2: Thanks, Andy, and thanks uh, thanks for having me on the show today. Um, you know, I certainly think this fall semester uh, has looked a lot different uh, and a lot more uh, positive uh, than the previous semesters. And I think that has all to do with our vaccination rate. Um, we are uh, approaching 95% vaccinated on both our campus and within the athletics population at UConn. And I think that that's made all the difference. Uh, you know, we do see um, vaccinated individuals test positive, but it is far more infrequent uh, than the unvaccinated. And um, I think overall, it's been uh, definitely a move in the right direction.
0: Kyle?
3: Yeah, I, I think... Things are generally positive for, for our community locally. You know, hospitalizations down, cases are down. Our percent positivity rate is as low as it's been in, in several months, um, which is encouraging. Uh, but I think it's important to keep in mind that that um, this is very regional, and there are there are certainly areas in the country that are not that are still struggling. I mean, if you look at uh, the shape of things in Alaska right now, uh, they're certainly having a lot of difficulty up in up in the north and. And so, where resources are scarce, um, you know, it, it can still be a very troublesome uh, 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 variant, but uh, I'm encouraged, I, I, you know, we're starting to look to the future uh, second semester looking a lot more normal around our, our parks, uh, largely because our delta wave seems to be heading heading out.
0: So, I want to address the current fall sports, fall championships, And then I wanna get to obviously our winter sports as we wrap up this conversation. But let's first deal with fall sports. The majority of which outside of women's volleyball for the most part are all outside. Uh, We've seen packed stadiums, I mean 100,000 fans in some institutions obviously in those stadiums that can can hold that. Uh, We're not seeing widespread outbreaks. Uh, A lot of these stadiums are requiring vaccination proof or negative test to get in, not all. Uh, So that's all positive signs, but they are outside sports, outside viewing uh, places. So how much do we sort of look at that and not get a false sense of security, Dina? And then we can go around our group with what's happening right now on the ground.
2: Yeah, it's an excellent point. You know, We've always known that outdoor is safer than indoor. We've always tried to uh, message that across the board. Um, And so you're right. I think we're seeing a lot of success with outdoor sports but we can't relax. You know. We can't go into winter sports um, that are indoor and, and think that we'll definitely have that same outcome. And that's why a lot of our conversations center around what mitigation strategies do we need to focus on in the winter sports? Do we need to have everybody masked? Um, do we have to consider um, you know, proof of vaccination? These are the conversations that are ongoing and things that we're really tracking on because while um, back, it's like Kyle mentioned, uh, vaccination statuses across the country are, are, are vastly different. And so when we think about a packed indoor basketball arena with close to 95% of the fans vaccinated, we are far less worried about an indoor packed stadium where there is a large percentage of unvaccinated fans. And so that's why our push, our message is always vaccination, vaccination. That's what's going to get us through this pandemic. Kyle? Kyle?
3: Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's difficult because obviously Dean and I are in much different areas of the country and, and um, they're, they're different. Um, uh, you know, politically they're different in their drive to get vaccinated. I live in an area that, that that does not have the same vaccine rates that Dina has luxury of and And so where we're trying to be good stewards is, is what we can control and what, what we can control is what happens in our building. And, and so as we look to um, indoor activities, you know, I think masks are extremely important. And my primary role is to protect the student athletes, so um, that—that's what I'm really focusing on—is—is is how can we make sure that that what happens in the crowd does not necessarily affect what happens on the court. And and so um, those that are working in the in the um, facilities, how can we ensure that they're vaccinated? If they're not vaccinated, how Make sure they're tested and at least masked, and and uh, and so those those you know, little things, this multi-layered approach to try to keep uh, the risk to the student athlete as small as it can possibly be, and then do everything we can to get our student athletes vaccinated. And some teams are fully vaccinated, which makes it a heck of a lot easier to manage.
0: But you know, Brian, um, and we've talked so many times about this. Yes, it's regional, but at the same time, it really is more school specific. And I, I look at Louisiana as an example. Because LSU and Tulane uh, in the state of Louisiana um, you know, were mandating uh, for fans uh, and for students once FDA approved it. So it really can get down to that level of the actual institution, more so than necessarily the state or how the state is run. How have you assessed the way, at least in the early fall, things have gone, especially, as I mentioned, in those packed stadiums with 100,000 fans?
1: Yes, so you can measure it in in two ways. One is just looking at the student athletes in in general and and the rates of vaccination amongst the student athletes, even in areas where uh, politically it's sometimes more challenging to get that message through. Because of the way the medical advisory group structured their recommendations of that vaccinated individuals are only tested when they're symptomatic, but the unvaccinated have to undergo uh, regular testing. And, and because of some of the conferences weighing in and saying, look, if you don't have a team that can play because of COVID, that's going to be a forfeit. That will be a loss. So that really helped drive up vaccination rates among students across the country, among student-athletes. And in terms of, you know, the, the, the fans, so the NCAA doesn't have a control over or what happens in conference games or or individual games in terms of setting a mandate for uh, the public and so forth. You know, recall that that we did have um, uh, certain restrictions for fans during the championships and in the winter championships and the spring championships. But but so far, we don't have any compelling data that the having the fans even you know toward maximum capacity that's that's led to regional outbreaks. But because we don't have that data doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but we haven't seen that that has happened. But you know, in, in terms of the the fans that always is gonna be a, a local decision maker unless the federal government um, or the state were to step in.
0: All right, so let's look ahead to the fall championships. And, and if you can, if any of you wanna take this on uh, of the difference uh, that may be obviously a little bit different with volleyball because it's indoors, uh, but what is the plan with however it may be mandated, whether it's student athletes, coaches, fans, uh, for fall championships, uh, you know, especially uh, when that is something, as we discussed, that you can control because the fall championships fall under the NCAA's jurisdiction. I'll start with Dina, if we can maybe go around our our room here.
2: So uh, um, I think, you know, what Brian said in terms of it being um, locally, Regionally related, I think there is still some weight to that. So even though the NCAA is sort of throwing the fall championships where those venues are located, there are some local public health guidelines that need to be considered. And, and a lot of what we've done um, as far as advising is making sure that schools are paying heed to what their local uh, guidance is.
0: Kyle? Yeah,
3: and, and then it's trying to be fairly uniform uh, in, in, in what the recommendations would be to championships in, in various locations and, and things like, like trying, making recommendations to keep student athletes at least six feet from the crowd, uh, making sure they're, they're masked when they're not participating. Um, those are the types of things that we can apply universally, uh, that are, are relatively easy to, uh, easy interventions. Um, and so, uh, and, and appear to have been effective to this point in time we haven't lived through an indoor delta season except for what's going on in volleyball currently but what we seem what we did last year seemed to be very effective in keeping student athletes safe and keeping competition uh, active
0: so you mentioned volleyball brian do we have any data on what is happening uh, with that sport with the athletes obviously and the fans being indoors
1: So, so so far, we don't have again, we don't have any data that that indicate that that's led to sort of a local spread because of the fans or because of the athletes actually participating indoors. Um, One thing I think is very important to point out about the upcoming fall championships is that most of them occur in a period of three days. There are a handful that are four days and maybe rarely five days. Contrast that to say the the women's and men's division one basketball championship when we had everyone together for uh, up to three weeks or or a little bit more. And and so we had to develop really extensive protocols and, and think about containment zones and so forth. Because we're recommending right now for the unvaccinated even before championships that they have the equivalent of one PCR test a week. As long as they have that test before they arrive to the championships, we don't have to do surveillance testing on site and we'll only be doing symptomatic testing and then setting up, you know, regular or or sort of a controlled environment, but but not as as strict, you know, as it had been. Um, with the Final Four, where we had to really measure every single step virtually that, that was was taking place. So so it, it is different just because of the nature of the, the, the length of duration and, and because we are in a better place. I mean, the majority, the vast majority of the athletes, student-athletes that will be competing in the fall championships will be fully vaccinated.
0: So I, I want to go back to Dina's point then um, so I'm clear on this. For a fall championship athlete or coach or fan, uh, there can be an advice of whether or not they should be vaccinated or proof of a negative test to be on site, but how much will that be determined exclusively by the rules of either the city, the county, or the state, of what they require uh, for an event of a certain size, of whether or not that individual has to be either be vaccinated or proof of a negative test within either 48 or 72 hours? Well, so we're going back
1: to the, the tier one model. So the tier one are the athletes, the coaches, the officials, those that are really part of that uh, intimate group that, that essentially are, are those actively involved in competition. The NCAA will be overseeing that aspect of ensuring that you're either vaccinated and, um, or, or not. Uh, You don't have to be vaccinated to compete in in the championships and that if you're not vaccinated, you will have to show a proof of a negative test within a couple of days of the championship. And then everyone would undergo testing if they're symptomatic, but we won't be doing any further testing on site. So we do have control over that tier one group.
0: All right. What overlaps, as I mentioned, uh, with the championships is the beginning of winter sports. Uh, Obviously, you mentioned men's and women's basketball, Uh, you know, hockey will start, Uh, so I mean, later in the year, I know wrestling, so all these sports we discussed last year will start, uh, for the most part, in November and December. Uh, Dina and Kyle, if I can go to you on this, I mean, how much will this be advice versus really coming down to what are the rules on that particular campus, uh, city, county, and state?
2: Yeah, so where we see this conversation really light up is around masking for fans um, and or vaccination status for fans, right? So the athletes are all going to be following that same recommendation from the NCAA about either you're vaccinated or you're getting tested weekly. Um, So that takes care of the athletes. Um, But for the fans, I really think that that's where things are going to come down to the local guidance. There may be Basketball arenas where there there are no vaccine mandates um, and there maybe not even and not even mask mandates um, and, and that isn't something that the I don't think that the NCA is going to be able to um, to rule on that's the that's the local public health guidance that comes into play so that's where I think we're going to see a lot of sort of um, this you know division of uh, how things are handi- uh, handled on the local level.
0: Kyle.
3: Yeah, and it's and it's going to play out in the public eye. I mean, you're, I, I think Dean is absolutely right. You're going to have some stadiums where you look out uh, that they pan across the crowd, everybody's masked. Others going to be completely unmasked, or, or at least sparsely masked. And and um, and you know, as has been the case with a lot of the pandemic, we obviously haven't lived through this yet. What effect will that have on local community spread? Uh, that's going to be determined at the time, we we don't have a crystal ball, we can't predict that. And, um, and so uh, that's a lot of pressure on local health officials uh, to do what they think is best for their communities.
0: Brian, I'm going to get you on the last word here in a moment. But before I do, I just want a a very quick comment from Dina and Kyle. Uh, You guys mentioned at the beginning about it being sort of different. It's not obviously 2019, uh, but it's Different, And we hope that maybe second semester will be even better. I'm just curious, since you're both at the campus level dealing with student athletes on a daily basis, just help me out here understand just the mood, the, the optimism, the attitude, especially the mental health of student athletes now versus let alone a year ago, maybe even six months ago. Dina, then Kyle.
2: So I'm super proud of of the athletes and, and sort of how they're handling um, the the really the brutal nature of what they've been through the past 19 months. Um, you know, I think when we were isolated, when athletes were home, they were separated from their teammates and their coaches and their sports. It was it was devastating for them. Um, And when we got them back on campus last year, um, there was this mix of, um, they were super excited to be back, but then there were all these rules and all these guidelines and all these things that made it seem so foreign compared to what they were used to. And now we're here, we're back, we're playing, there are still guidelines, there are still rules, but the rules are a, a little bit, a little bit rolled back. Um, And also we're seeing less cases and we're seeing less positives and we're seeing less shutdowns and less um, cancellations of contests. So I think in that aspect, the mood is optimistic, but I try to, at UConn, remind my athletes that we are not out of this yet. So please do not let your guard down um, and really remember that, um, you know, we, we are still very much in this. So I try to balance that hope and that optimism with a little bit of reality.
3: Yeah, I think it's the same thing here. There's cautious optimism, but there's, uh, there's a lot of caution in that optimism. Um, the, there's the reality that we are basically back to normal classes. Um, there's all the normal pressures of, of what that means in terms of midterms and finals. And, and so we see all of the anxiety that typically comes from school compounded by the potential for testing positive for COVID. Uh, What does that mean for my team? What does that mean for me personally? Um, But what I think I've seen uh, is is a new ownership. Um, The fact that there is some level of normalcy coming back into play, they don't want to lose that. And I was at football practice the other night and um, one of our senior linemen uh, I saw him rip one of the new 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 kids, uh, younger kids, who was in the in the cold tub without a mask inside, and 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 it was kind of like, what are you doing, man? What you know? What get your mask on? And so I think that that they're, they're saying, this is our chance. We can we can have a, a great season. We can rally together. We can continue this momentum, and and I'd hopefully push on into a successful uh, winter sports season. Uh, so long as we're still together in the process, and and so that was I thought his uh, great leader leadership to see, and and I think it also speaks to how much it means to these kids.
0: That's a great anecdote, and and Brian, I want you to have the last word of the flexibility here. Uh, we're obviously cautiously optimistic that what you may think needs to happen in November, you know, hopefully may not be necessary in February or March. I mean, how uh, how guarded are you that that things may might you know, be pulled back a little. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it. no one should, uh, but that you know things could definitely work in everyone's favor if everyone takes care of business, as Kyle and Dina were saying uh, that things could certainly change over the course of the winter season.
1: Well, I would say, Andy, I'm, I'm guardedly incredibly optimistic, um, but we can you know it's interesting when you go back almost a year and a half ago when a phenomenal document came out opening up america again and and that became the basis of our first core principles of resocialization of sport document they really focused on syndromic surveillance and understanding what's happening at the community level and that became the basis for moving from phase 1 to phase 2 to phase 3 and in many ways, we're, we're there, we're, we're seeing that we're going from red zones to orange zones, and then we'll hopefully be moving to, you know, yellow and green zones, which means that a green zone, you have very little rate of new infection over a period of seven days. And if we're there, and, and there are many predictions that, that we hopefully will get there. The way we do things will be much, much different than when we're in red zones across the country where we have to still do testing. So I think now that we have these systems in place and we understand uh, the rate of spread, remember a year and a half ago, we had. Very little idea what the real community spread was because we just had such poor testing capability. So, I think with the advance of everything, and even you know, with Kyle's anecdote, that you know we're just all looking at infectious disease and upper respiratory infections a little differently. It's a collective effort. I think with all of that, we we can we can be be optimistic. Um, you know, COVID has has taught us that we uh, keep our guards up, but um, but I'm optimistic.
0: Well, I'll tell you. Uh, first of all, uh, as if you were to go to our NCAA.org slash social series page, you would see Brian at the beginning of all this uh, talk about where we were then uh, and to where we are now. So if you contrast show one to show uh, I, I've lost count, uh, you certainly would see just how far we've come. Uh, but I appreciate all of you. Every time we have one of these, uh, I learn more. I think they're incredibly educational, informational. Uh, And I am hoping that uh, everyone in our college athletic space is taking this all in and still taking responsibility for themselves and others, as Kyle was saying. So appreciate everyone. Thank you for your time. We'll be back again soon. Thanks for watching.